and one, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on episode 62, which we are recording at an awkward time of the day because Blue had to sleep. An awkward time of the night, one might say. It is. Well, it's morning for you. Well, I mean, if you call 3 a.m. the morning. I I think by definition it is the morning. Well, but I, I kind of think that morning starts at 6 a.m. <laughs> it's still nighttime as far as I'm concerned. Fair, fair. Anyway, we're on, we're on, a, we're on our topics segment, and I actually had a topic that I think it's somewhat serious, but I also think it's a piece of information that pretty much everyone should know. Um, so, <laughs> why are you laughing? Oh, God. <laughs> it's so recently, I um, I had to take a class or a recertification class to um, for training uh, so that I could renew my firearms license in the U.S. Um, mo- some states don't require a special license for it, but the state I live in does require it. And the city I live in requires you to take a bunch of certification classes to do it. So I did. And they, they actually, I'm, I'm really glad that I took it. There was a lot of good information in there, but one of the things that I really liked that I wanted to talk about on the podcast was um, how self-defense law is handled um, and some of the, the, like, the primary contingents of it. And just, the, these are relevant to the U.S., at least most of them are, because um, apparently it's fairly common. But since the U.S. is based off of common law, which comes from the U.K., I assume that it's probably going to be somewhat relevant to where you are, too. And then, at least from a philosophical perspective, it might be something relevant to, you know, other people around the world. Um, yeah, so one thing I will say is that um, I know bouncers in the UK are only able to use uh, equal or opposite force. So they yeah. can only use what someone is coming at them with. Um, that's very, that, that's pretty much in line with what they told us about um, so there, there are two rules that seem to be pretty universal, and then there's one that my state, um, Massachusetts, decided to add on to the end, which makes our self-defense laws a little bit more bullshit, but so I'll, I'll just go through them. So like the, the first one, which I think um, this one makes perfect sense, you have to reasonably believe that you or someone else is going to be in danger of harm physical harm right and so you you're allowed that's that's rule number one if that's if that's the case then you're allowed to defend yourself rule number two is what you just said you have to use equivalent force you have to use whatever the necessary force is so if somebody's coming at you with a knife you're allowed to sorry you can use equivalent force yeah you have (laughs) oh shit he's got a knife oh i can't fight him i've only got my fists (laughs) I guess I'll just have to come back tomorrow. <laughs> no, but it's it's what you were just saying. Like yeah. you're only allowed to use up to the equivalent force that, that person is mm. using. So if they're coming at you with your fists and you're the same size as them, then you can use your fists as well. But which is is very that that line is very palpable. It is, which is which is where you get into like the the nuances and interpretation. So for instance, if somebody there's a there's a couple really interesting pieces of this law because the guy that was giving the training actually went through a lot of the nuances. So 
For instance, if you saw somebody who looked like fucking Hulk Hogan coming out and he's like, oh, I'm going to kill you and he's he's just got his fist, you could use, like, a knife or a gun to, like, fight this guy off because if you if he's, like, twice your size, twice your muscle mass, and he's hmm. he's threatening you right there, then equivalent force would be whatever it takes you, what whatever tool it takes you to match the force he's bringing to bear yeah. um, and the threat that he's bringing to bear. What I'm curious about is mm. we've spoken about like, hey, so if someone comes up with a knife, you can use a knife, right? Mm-hmm. All right, picture this. Someone comes up to you, they pull a switchblade on you, right? Yeah. You pull out a longsword. So it's still a stabbing weapon. Yeah. Does it count? This is this is where some this is where we get into the weird nuances of my state's laws in particular. My yeah. state hates knives, but swords are okay. And in fact, you can actually, if somebody is... An honor duel. Swords are okay, and so are cars. This is the weird thing. Like, Right. I, I should preface all of this and, and, and point out that I am not a lawyer. I'm, I'm in no way involved in the yeah, legal field. I'm not an expert. This. This, is, this is me having taken a course, and as a layman, talking about some of the things that they talked about during this course. So I just, I need to put that caveat mm. out there. But, for instance, they showed us uh, a scenario where um, a, a mugger had opened the back passenger seat of a car and was pointing a gun at the, the passenger in the driver's seat. And they, they didn't have any weapons in the car, but the guy threw it in reverse and hit the mugger with the car. Now, in, in, ma- it, like in my state, that is perfectly legal because he was using deadly force against the people in the car, threatening their lives. Yep. And you used deadly force against him. Used another weapon, your car, which could have killed him because he was using a weapon, the gun. I mean, the door wouldn't have killed him. But yeah, but but essentially, like that that was the that was the thinking though. So, but a lot of cities in my state have specific regulations and laws against specific knives. So what you just said, a switchblade, a switchblade is a felony in my state. Just having one on you, right. Now, like for instance, if I were to well, walking around with one in public, you mean? You're yeah, yeah. To have them in but the, but the weird thing is, like, I can walk around with a Glock and that's fine. But if I walked mm. around with a switchblade, that would be a felony. So, like, I can, I can. Have a Glock's fully automatic, right? No, no, no. Is it semi-automatic? Mm. Uh, we're not allowed to have fully automatic guns in my state. Okay. There, there's oh. there's a few states that allow it, but I think like uh, Nevada does and a couple others, but. Um, most states restrict you to semi-automatic weapons Mm. Uh, but anyway so those are the first two and the the equal and opposite thing this is where you get into the nuances like you also have to intent like if somebody says I'm going to kick your ass as they're coming up to you versus I'm going to kill you then that also factors into it or if prior knowledge of the person you know the guy charging at you is like a trained MMA fighter or something like that that's different yeah, from mean, some flat, fat schlub coming at you with the fists out. When you are in an altercation, i found in the past, I, I genuinely don't remember what happened very well afterwards. I mean, granted, the few times I have been in an altercation, it has been generally... Uh, alcohol has been involved in one way or another. <laughs> but. So, finish, finish your thought, but they did talk about this quite a bit in the course, too. Okay. I was just going to say, so there was once uh, I was coming home from a, a night out with friends, 
mm. and these other people were being assholes, and they came up and they were like grabbing someone from my party. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I kind of stood between them, and the guy was like pushing me around. Apparently, at some point, I floored the guy. Hmm. I do not remember it at all. Uh, so, by the way, that that would at least weird. under the the law of my state that would fall under legal self defense. Yes, but um, and, yeah, you know, he was being a total douche. <laughs> so there's um, oh, I uh, so that that's one of the things they went into nuances of what can. So this is this is where things get different in my state compared to most of the states in the U.S. and most of the um, like other self-defense law standards. There's a third yep. one. You have a legal obligation, Massachusetts, to avoid combat if at all possible. So if That's there's fair. if there's any option for you to run, for you to leave, for you to do anything, you are legally obliged to do it. Um, and. It sounds good on paper, but in practice, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And it's part, partially because what you're talking about right there. Um, because we're, we're not robots, we're animals. So, like, mm. when, when you're feeling threatened, like when that fight or flight you instinct kicks in, yeah. it's, it's not only that, your, your body immediately pulls blood from your skin and pumps it into your muscles. It also pulls blood from your brain and pumps it into your muscles. So your reflexes go up. Your adrenaline spikes, but your decision-making skills go down significantly. One of the things they showed us videos of in this training was people in like um, very stressful scenarios. They took people who were very mm. good shooters, um, but who were not necessarily like trained in hand-to-hand -hand fighting, yeah, or anything like that. And so they put them in a classroom. They they didn't just expect anything to happen, but they they let them carry you know a gun that was loaded with paint pellets in the classroom. And they had guys charge into the room unexpectedly. And they watched, like, one of the guys who was really good in practice, he got his shirt stuck on the gun. He couldn't get it out of his pocket. Like, one of the people, like, she managed to draw it perfectly fine, but she instinctively stood up and so went out of cover. And so she got hit. And, like, your, your decision-making skills and your fine motor functions go out the window. And it's not uncommon to completely forget the entire scenario. Mm. Like moments afterwards because you you're flooded with adrenaline the blood's pumping so what you're talking about is perfectly normal in that kind of a situation yeah i mean i've always been a very peaceable person i think talking to people is always going to be the first action you should yeah. do like in any situation that's like okay not maybe not if if someone was actively advancing on me or a member of my family with a gun then maybe i would yeah I don't know, change things. But for the most part, 99% of the time, I think, yeah. Talking people down should be the first option. The moment that goes out the window, then you go full into the opposite. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, de-escalation is always... Sh it should always be the first thing that you do. Like, yeah. you know, if somebody's... If it's... Especially, like, if... So this is something that they, they clarified. It Some of the things that void your right to self-defense in the U.S. is... Um, let's see, what, like, it's co mutual combat. So if somebody's mm. coming up to you and going like, you know, what, you want to go? You want to go? And you're like, all right, fine, let's take it outside. That's considered mutual combat. And so right. you, no, no one can claim self-defense at that point. 
Okay, I was gonna, I thought you were going to... Because, like, if two people just start... Want to have a fight in a pub or something? Mm. That's illegal, isn't it? It is illegal. It's illegal, but you also the the point they were making in this class was you also can't claim self defense after the fact because you right, consented okay. to the illegal mutual combat. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like being unwilling to walk away. So, like for instance, if you go like, "All right, fine, hit me, just hit me, just hit me," hmm. and then they hit you. You can't claim self-defense after that because yeah, it's, you, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, trying to think of the word um, instigating. Sure, that works. I mean, it, it's close <laughs> enough. It, it I, yeah. I can't remember the exact word either, but it's something like that. Mm. But like that—that's some of the things that went over um, in the thing. And oh, one of the other things. This is something interesting in the U.S. So. Your your re- retaliation is not allowed, obviously. But retaliation what, like actually—that's what you'd think. But it actually has a very specific definition. Apparently, retaliation means like if you go out in your drive or you're you're in your house, right? Mm-hmm. Your car's out in your driveway, and you see somebody just beating the shit out of your car with a crowbar. Mm-hmm. You are not allowed to then jump outside, chase the guy down, and then like tackle him. You're not allowed to do that. Right. Because that's considered assault in response to property damage. So what he did was a civil offense. What you did was a criminal offense. And so you're not allowed to do that. It's fucked up, I know. I mean, they're on your property, so you're allowed to, aren't you? Uh, that depends on the state. If they're still on your property. If they make it to the if, Yeah, if they if they get off the property line, then no. If they're still on your property, then yes. Then there's the, the whole, like, you know, right. you know, castle doctrine and stuff like God. that. So all those, you know... Uh, fuck, who are the guys that go around in black hoodies at the moment just tearing shit up? I, I don't know. Hoodlums? <laughs> I, I oh, you're talking Peter, about Antifa. Yeah, you're Antifa, talking about Antifa. Yeah, so yeah. That, that, is that what they get? I guess uh, it depends on where they're doing it. If they're doing it on public land, then yeah, people can't can't stop them. Um, mm. Until they commit, like, actual assault. If they actually hit you, then you're allowed to respond. Um, yeah. But, this is the fun exception. If they do above a certain amount of property damage, then it becomes a felony, and you're, in the U.S., allowed to make a citizen's arrest. Jesus, how do you even track that though, very easily? Like, okay, actually... I don't know. I haven't looked this up. I, 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 obviously, this is, it seems like a really sketchy thing to do because somebody's probably going to just throw it out and be like, oh, you can't do that or something. I don't know. But apparently, above a certain dollar value, property crime becomes a felony, in which point you can make a citizen's arrest. But to do that, you have to shout it. And you have to have somebody else call the police immediately to say that this person is making the citizen. It's, it, there's yeah. a very, very specific legal way that you have to do this. Is there like, is it like a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars? I think it's it's several thousand dollars. Several thousand. Okay, yeah. Also, yeah. So I'm sure you'll remember the another internet historian video. Um, wait, you do know the internet historian, right? I know him, but I haven't really watched yeah. too many of his videos. Okay, so an Antifa guy with a uh, a bike lock. Oh yeah, I know. I know this event. Yeah, I, I watched. Around yeah, fucking hitting people. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing this when it happened. Like the the videos the came militia, out. The militia, the militia of 4chan, 
like track down hundreds of thousands of images and like piece this guy together and send the information in. Yeah. Didn't it, didn't he end up being like a college professor? Yeah, he was a um like a social studies college professor. Uh, like second command, what do you call them? Um, Associate professor. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was instead like that. It was like the social studies or like political studies or something like that. It's something quite ironically apt. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, fuck, I didn't think that was going to happen. Wait. <laughs> but it's good because, I mean, it tells, it shows people, all right, you might get unlucky and have this happen to you, so don't fucking do it. Don't hit people and run. Yeah, I think that the problem with those situations is you get uh, what's called, um, and I think this is actually a book, uh, the, the like the madness of crowds. Like when people are in a big group like that, they they mm. tend to feel like they can act with impunity. Yeah, they feel like they have the moral right because there are other people doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the reasons why um, in ancient battlefields, when you had like, you know, different small groups of armies like, you know, spearmen or pikemen going up against each other, the, the, the battle ended when the first or second person ran. Because once, like, one or two people run, then everyone else is like, oh, I can run Morale too. Breaks. And they, they all yeah. break and route. And it's the same thing on offense, too. Like, if if you see, like, somebody else charge. Do you remember when we watched the movie The, the Last Samurai? Like, at the beginning, they're trying yeah. to get people to hold their fire in the woods. One guy fires. One guy fired. And yeah. everyone else started doing it. Okay, but in... in... In some respect, though, with that, it's like, um, I'm going to relate this to a very much even nerdier topic. Um, the Battle of Helm's Deep, I think it's Helm's Deep, the one with the, where the, the berserker guy charges the wall and explodes, right? Yep, yep. So, at the beginning of that battle, there's an old dude, an archer, on the wall, and he lets his arrow off, like, too soon. Mm-hmm. And it hits and kills an Urukai, mm-hmm. who while the Urukai are all standing there doing their hacker dance. Yeah. Um, does the, is that like a bad morale hit for the good guys or is it a bad morale hit for the Urukai? That's the question. I mean, th- that's, a, that's a circumstance where you've got somebody on the defender's side who has disobeyed orders and just gotten lucky. Yeah. So, it really yeah, is... I guess they were probably outside of the normal range. Yeah. And that's why they weren't firing, I'm guessing. Yeah, so technically it would have been it would have been a bad thing for the defenders if everyone else started firing at once and they were all out of range and none of the arrows hit. Mm. Um, but because he got the lucky shot in, then maybe you know it's it's a bad luck for the defenders side or mm. the offensive side. This also, this is I'm sorry if there was an army of Urukai outside my walls, I would be shitting myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> like far more so than any humans. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. <laughs> And that's why the humans of Helm's Deep needed the M60. Yes, and so, uh, yes, so that guy, he got taken to a court of law for (laughs) for attacking another person without, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's... But the Urukai knew Kung Fu! This is unfair! (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want to, like, belabor this too much, but I just thought Uh, that this is something... Because I feel like a lot of people have assumptions about what self-defense means in their own head, right? Yeah. In fact, one of the things they went over in this class was the fact that so for instance, say I'm I have a pistol, right? Yeah. 
and somebody else is coming at me with a knife. Yep. And they're charging me with a knife, and they start charging me with a knife from about 50 feet away. I see where this is going. Yep. If I shoot them before they're within lethal range with that knife... Then it's legal. Then it's illegal. Then they they actually could sue me. Or but the I, moment they get within the range, the they moment they get yeah, the them. moment they get within lethal range. So, the the problem I find, and this is what I mean when I say that the self defense laws are counterintuitive. They don't they don't function the same way like a normal person would think. Like a normal person would go like that man's charging me with a knife. He's yeah. It doesn't matter if he's twenty feet away or fifty feet away. And you certainly wouldn't think about it in the moment, would you? You wouldn't be like, no. oh, but the law doesn't let me, so I'm going to have to hold off a couple seconds. Yeah, it's just, exactly. I'm just like, I'm just, I'm going to draw the pistol and just wait. Yeah. But the thing is, in in my state in particular, you actually can't even draw the pistol until they're within ten feet. Damn. Have you seen that? Um, I think it's a, a one of the insider videos where it's like the the one of the best, or maybe it was the best, um, quick draw people in the world reviewing quick draw scenes from movies mm. and it's this lady and holy crap that's scary <laughs> there's <She's> like <laughs> bam i've i've seen like quick draw competitions they're they're crazy this was actually it a piece of weird. advice that they gave us during the class too is like a lot of people practice like <clears throat> practice their aim practice mm. the reload practice you know all that their stance and everything but one yeah. of the most important things to practice, if you're actually going to carry a firearm with you... Is drawing. Is drawing, exactly. Practice having it in the holster, taking it out, and aiming it quickly. Because the, the thing is, like, almost as, like, it's bad if somebody's going to, like, you know, if somebody attacks you with something. Yeah. Be it, you know, their fists or any other kind of weapon. What's worse is when you're capable of defending yourself and you draw and you hurt somebody else by accident because you've just pulled out the stupid thing like an incompetent moron. Mm. But yeah, jeez. I don't know. It's just but that that was one of the things I was surprised about is they're really they don't really make a distinction on what you defend yourself with. So it could be a sword, it could be a bat, it could be a brick, it could be a, like a shotgun, it could be a pistol. Doesn't matter. As See, I'm kind of curious whether, like, if someone if so if, if someone is attacking you again, I, I'm I'm taking the knife thing out of context again because I feel like there are so many holes that could be poked in it. Oh yeah, it's going to. This is the so, this is why they have to you know give these training courses. If someone pulls out a a, a knife on you mm -hmm. and they're running towards you, yep, you pull out like. A halberd or a spear. Mm -hmm. They are too far away for that knife to be within lethal range. It's considered equivalent force. Okay. By by at least by the law of my state, it's considered equivalent force. Uh, but you, you but what you what can't you can't even get close to you. But you have to defend it. You have mm -hmm. to. So one of the things that you have to actually be able to defend if you were going yeah. to do that is the fact that you had no choice because of that third stipulation. That you mm. have the obligation to retreat. So you have to defend that you had no choice but to take that action. And What about ballistic weapons like crossbows and stuff over there? That's perfectly fine. Are they? Yeah. I'm surprised, because it's normally like like the old tactical knife. There's Is it actually tactical knife I'm thinking of? Is like illegal over there? Um 
Well, the one that like is projectile. Oh yeah, yeah, those are illegal here. Well, yeah. not illegal. You're, they're illegal to carry. You can buy them if you want. Right. You have them in your house. <laughs> of course. So th there's a difference between what you can carry on you and what you can defend your own home with. Like, so for instance, I have I have weapons in my home, mm -hmm. like knives that I could not carry with me because they're illegal to carry in my city, but they're fine to have at home. And there's, there's yeah. also a very fine distinction between what you can carry on you as a weapon in the U.S. and what you're allowed to have in your home. And there's also, the, the laws are very different. So the whole obligation to run away thing, that only applies when you're not at home. So at mm. home, we do very much still have the castle doctrine, which is where if people yeah. were to come into your home, you I think, I, I, if I remember right, you're legally obligated to warn them mm. and to declare that you know, you're going to, and that you also have to, the proportional force thing is still there, but you're allowed to, you know, threaten with, with that proportional force. I, I'm, I'm not quite as familiar. And again, <laughs> I feel like I need to reiterate this. This is all like what I know as a layman from taking the training courses that are required to, you know, purchase and own weapons in Massachusetts. So are you able to have like a squad automatic weapon? like mounted in your living room no because to to get that you actually there's a federal license and it, it, there's like a six month wait time and they have to do some kind oh, of a okay. crazy background like check full auto stuff yeah full auto stuff you can get them as a civilian but it's a crazy process and it takes forever right. um i know people who have gotten machine guns um yeah. they just take forever to get and it's extremely difficult and there's tons of federal paperwork that needs to be done around them yeah, do you need to give, like, a, a reason as to why you want one or something? I mean, you have to give a reason for why you want one in most cities. So, like, I have to submit a letter uh, for my license renewal because I live in a city now. I used to live in a smaller town, so I just had to prove that I wasn't a criminal, prove that I wasn't violent, uh, prove that I had no, yeah. like, you know, issues with that sort of stuff. Just don't look at my gaming history. <laughs> <laughs> You've been playing a lot of Rainbow Six Siege, son. <laughs> yeah. Um, these things you said on League of Legends about people's mothers? <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> but no, no. Now that I live in a city, I need to submit a letter, and I also need to have references that will say, yeah. attest to me not being a sociopath. Yeah, I got you. Um, but, but for that stuff, you have to go through a much more like difficult process. You need like some serious references. People who are in the military and stuff who are going to, like, this guy isn't going to... You know, go into the town center nuts, and yeah. do whatever. Um, and yet the fucking batshit crazy people still find a way of getting it through. You know how they do it? Girlfriends. Go to a place that... Oh. I thought you guys say you just go to a state where it was more lax. No, 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 no. Girlfriends. This is how they do it. Even in the, even in the cities. So a lot of gangs in places like Chicago and stuff like that... Mm. Um, I was watching a documentary on this. They apparently will get their girlfriends who have no criminal record, like gang members. Um, mm. they'll, they'll get a girlfriend with no criminal record, and they'll use her as basically a mule. She'll go out, she'll get the license and everything, and she'll buy the guns and then give them to them. <laughs> Just imagine you someone sends out their, their, their mule girlfriend, and the mule come, comes back with like a, a bazooka in bright pink with little gemstones. <laughs> 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 like just a mobster walking around with this shit, like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And like, <laughs> like it's it doesn't really work in most places, and it's, um, 
because they do do background checks and they they a lot of the times now they'll catch it they'll go like oh you, uh we're not going to do this because you're dating you know this guy who's a yeah, gangbanger yeah. for like 10 years so they'll look at your associates now but that that was how they used to do it and I, I think that to a certain extent they might still do it that way but this was this was a documentary i watched like four or five years ago and that's that's how they said that a lot of them ended up on the street yeah. goes out to get a technical comes back with a people carrier with a little <laughs> mounted mini gun on top <laughs> for all the family oh my god <laughs> That's something I, uh, that that's on my bucket list, by the way, is to go out to like Nevada and uh, try out firing an M60 or some other light machine gun. Yeah, because I, I can't own them personally, but there's tons of gun ranges out. To be in, fair, I don't think you'd really want to own them specifically. You like, want to see what they're like. It, it's but. Yeah, it's too much paperwork, and what's the point? I, I don't need yeah. one. Like every bullet is like five pounds being shot away down the range. Well, that's the thing. Like, they're, it's a fifty cal <laughs> rifle, so yeah. Yeah. I thought about this one time because, like, somebody was like, "Oh, how many guns do you really need?" And I think the the answer to that question is two. Yeah, one two. for home, one for carry. Yeah, exactly. That that's that's the need, and then anything beyond that is like a you know, it's a bonus. Like, even though I would say that you, you don't need technically any guns, but yeah, it's nice to have. I get. That. But but by that same token, you don't need a hammer. You don't need a plunger, but. When I say need, I mean how many is is like it will solve the practical purpose of having that that item. Yeah, it's the uh, minimum minimum viable product. Yeah, kind of thing. essentially. Um, yeah, that's that's all I had to say. I just I felt like so. <laughs> that's all I got to say about it. Thirty minutes in. <laughs> well, no, no, but but I, I do want to close this out. There's a reason that this is very different from what we normally talk about, but. Self, like, I thought I really understood self-defense law, um, mm -hmm. but after taking the course, I was like, oh, there was a lot that I didn't quite understand. There were a lot of nuances to it that weren't right. immediately obvious because they're illogical. They're, they're things that, like, make sense from a legal perspective, but don't make sense from a human perspective. And so I just thought, like, it's good information that I just thought would be good to have out there. And yeah. I'd encourage like anyone who's curious about this and who actually is concerned about it, look it up. Actually, look Do at the, the research, look at the yeah. local laws, because again, this is just my layman's perspective after taking yeah, the class. and from one one state in particular. This is yeah, <laughs> this is specifically this is all specific to Massachusetts in the United States. Yeah. It, from what I've heard, it's similar to the rest of the U.S. and mm. it's it should be similar to the U.K. because. It's all common it's law based. Me on the more, the more um, protective side. Yeah. Um, the more strict rules um, than certainly a lot of other places in America, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Places like Texas and Oklahoma, they've got the stand your ground law, which is, it's literally the opposite of uh, what ours is. Ours, you're obligated mm -hmm. to run away. Texas and Oklahoma, you're perfectly within your rights to stand your ground and go like, fuck you, I'm they, not running. They will sue you. If you don't go and shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite that bad, but yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, like any 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 final thought, thoughts there? Otherwise, we can kind of close out the segment. Um, yeah, I think it seems very similar to the, the British things, but I have not taken any courses on that. So do your own research, like you said, and just stay safe, everybody. Yeah. 
And, and this is one thing that they told us. Actually, that's a good point to end on. One thing they told us in the class. Like, you never want to... Like, you never want to be a hero. Like, well, I mean, maybe you want to be a hero. But don't, don't like, go out of your way to try and challenge somebody who is using deadly force against someone else. Like, know your limits. Know the fact that, you know, you're a human being. You're not in an action movie. Like, if somebody's charging you with a knife, it's probably in your best interest to run the fuck away. Yeah. So, just be reasonable, do your own research, but I thought this was good information to have out there. Anyway, hmm. this is going to be the end of segment one of the Team CJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear it again momentarily for segment two. Welcome back to the Team CJ Podcast. We are on segment two, our media segment. And we didn't do movie night this week, but we have independently watched two, well, or three. TV series? Several things. I watched a movie. Blue read a book. He also watched something, I think. And he's put sunglasses yes. on to shame me in the fact that I am not wearing sunglasses at the moment. You guys can't I'm saying sunglasses on because of the bright fucking light in my face. But yeah. <laughs> um, well... All right, so you got the blue, the blue roof. How many fucking, how many? Uh, look, look, time out. Okay, fine. How many aviators have you got? <laughs> Fifteen or so. Fifth. Fuck off. So I. You're worse than people who collect shoes. I have two pairs of good aviators. I have a pair of really nice aviators, and then I have like another ten pairs of shitty aviators that I just wear. That you know they'll they'll probably Jesus. like fall apart or. You know, yeah, they'll concealed carry aviators. <laughs> <laughs> oh man alright but yeah so earlier today I um I, I had the urge to I had a fit of nostalgia mm. I, and I watched uh, Disney's Hercules oh uh, yes I was never a massive fan of the Hercules really I loved that movie that was one of my favorite movies um around that time came mm. out I, that the movie came out around I think I was nine years old when that movie came out and, I mean, I absolutely loved it. Helped that Meg was hot. But, <laughs> but, but the reason I wanted to talk about it is, like, it, it really had... It has something that I think is lacking in a lot of movies now. And the fact that... Alright, so we've talked previously about overpowered characters, right? Yes. People like Anakin, people like Captain Marvel, people like Superman... People yeah. who are like, and Hercules is probably closest to Superman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing that I liked, and I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie again today, was they mm. did a very good job taking a character who should be overpowered, somebody who's like you know can lift anything, can beat the shit out of you know gods and monsters and whatnot, and somehow establishing a level of flaw and vulnerability to him. Yeah, in his mental state, generally. In general, yeah. Like, he's naive. Like, he, mm. he's he just come off the farm. Like, he's he's very idealistic. He doesn't mm. suspect anyone naturally. Take and... me to the rabbits, George. <laughs> no. He's not that bad. But the, the fact that, like, um, he first gets uh, taken advantage of... Well, I mean, he gets kind of 
completely disillusioned by the the like the people that he meets early on in the movie. I'm I'm not going to summarize the plot cuz I'm going to assume everyone knows this plot. It's it's a classic movie. If you haven't seen it, go out and watch it. Great movie. Mm. Um he goes to the big city and all the the, the people there are all like, "Oh, fuck you. You're not a hero. You haven't done anything yet." You know the big city, I think of like Manhattan or New York. They actually make that joke. Um Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah, they call it the Big Olive. <laughs> very good so the big apple yeah um and meg you know being manipulated by hades uh takes advantage of him to like lure him into a trap to fight a hydra he somehow mm-hmm. lives um hades is pissed but meg is happy and then so he sends her out again to to flirt with him a little bit and um to try and find out his weakness and she ends up falling for him and uh hades is like oh i think we've found his weakness it's you Hmm. and um then there's this whole scene where he's he's manipulated and tricked into giving up his powers and um he experiences betrayal for the first time because you know meg has been you know working behind his back the whole time and manipulating him and it's not a very complicated story and then he like tragedy befalls him like meg gets killed or gets injured badly yeah and he gets his powers back because that breaks the breaks the contract that he had with hades and then he he saves the gods and but meg dies and he has to go down to the underworld and and save her and come back and because he was willing to sacrifice his own life and bring her to to rescue her that makes him a true hero because he he cared more about uh you know rescuing this other person than his own life and it, yep. like it's it's a very simple story when you boil it down like that but they they there's a few very good elements in there that I just i don't know they they seem to be lacking in a lot of stories that are trying to do similar things these days you know what i mean Lacking in... So, the main character has flaws. The yep. main character has to overcome those flaws and yep. try and, like, you know, achieve something. To, to, to reach the basis for every goal. story ever, yep. Yeah, but the, the, the classic hero's journey. Hmm. And, I don't know, I just it feels like such a simple concept that's missed in a lot of movies now. Um... I think when where where movies try to be more artsy these days, and there are a lot of films that try mm. to be the the new best thing, which is a good thing. Like all about branching out creativity, that kind of thing. And they those movies, I feel like, do receive the most flack from me more than anyone else. I should point out, but when they get it right, they can really do something special. Yeah. Um, that being said, it is like a it's it's like the the four chord song. Like, it's 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 the the fundamental bread and butter of any story. Yeah. So let me. Um, so one of the reasons that I'll, I'll use two of the other people that I compared Hercules to earlier before I talked about the plot. And that's mm. Captain Marvel and Superman. Yeah. Both of those stories, I feel like, um, like they're they're lacking some. So Superman, right? He's like he's invulnerable, and he he always does the right thing. His he's physically and mentally and personality wise perfect already. 
He's a good guy. He's out there to defend and help his friends. He's physically invulnerable. And as much as we rag on him, for the time that he was created, he was perfect. It was a much more hopeful time, yeah. It was a time when, you know, you want to make something that everyone can look up to and want to be. Because during that time, there was a lot more strife and... Something you know, to aspire to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so something for little kids to be like, damn, that's what I want to be when I grow up. This badass motherfucker who can kick Nazis in the face. <laughs> uh, like, shit like that, you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. So have you have you seen the, the Captain Marvel movie? I'm not going to. Alright, well this was something I did in 2020, was I was I wanted to watch every Marvel movie in order up until Wait, Endgame. you've seen it? I've seen it. Because I, I, I got Disney Plus so I could watch the, the Mandalorian. Did you know about it before going into it? I did. But I okay. tried to go into it with like an as, as fair a mind as I could. Yeah. And um, to put it as simply as I can, even like the biases aside, the stuff I know about the movie, like not mm. filtering into it, it's just a mediocre film. Like, there's a, a bunch of cool CGI, but mm. what happens is um, Captain Marvel, she's working for the bad guys in the beginning, she's fighting and doing whatever, and then yeah. something happens, she ends up on Earth, she's trying to track down this this evil entity that's going on, she gets pissed off by some random civilians and beats the shit out of them. Yeah. And then she finds out she's secretly someone else and it releases her power and then she goes off and beats oh. the shit out of the people that were actually the bad guys in the end and then so on and so on. But but my, my point is she doesn't go through like an arc at all. Like her arc is she's great but restrained. And then she finds out she's great, and she used to be even greater. And then she gets unrestrained, and then she's great again. Like there's okay. no, there's no character Point flaws. Where she's a, you know, waking up in a garbage dump and like just yeah, like, like the, there's no. She she was perfect at the beginning, except with like a nerf on her, and then at the end she's perfect with the nerf taken off of her. It's yeah. So what I would say. Is it, so obviously the the films received massive amounts of flack for its virtue signaling. Yeah. But if would... the actual like t take take away the whole virtue signaling, forget that the characters' genders or anything. If the film itself was just a good film, and then you re-added the virtue signaling, people would... would not have had a problem with the virtue signaling. Yeah. It's like. If, if you think about Aliens, right? Or Alien, the original. Yeah. Imagine if that was a shit film. But they still had, like, this one woman who essentially outlasted all of the other men, was a badass, like, in some ways looked down on them because they're being stupid, yeah. as is written by the script. We that would be the exact same thing. Yeah, it's like... But they it made a good movie... And then they made the main character a female. This is the problem with like a lot of the the like the fact that a lot of film, media, well, film, books, video games, whatever, are tied up in politics now. Like, mm. 
the, there's a reason I described the Captain Marvel movie the way I did. I didn't mention her gender. I didn't mention like any of that politics because if you take all of that away, it's just a mediocre movie with no no exactly. arc. The the only thing that movie has going for it is it has great special effects. And which it should do in this day and age, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Special effects are like a dime a dozen now. Like anyone can mm. do great special effects. Um, yeah. So it's it's not that impressive. So the only thing the movie really had going for it was the politics. And if so, if you like those politics, you, you probably like enjoy the movie. It's a fun spectacle. But if you yeah. don't, and you're actually looking for a decent story, it's just not there. So a good example of a movie that was couched in politics in the Marvel Universe that was actually written well, yeah, Black Panther. I have not seen it, but I hear it's pretty bad. It's not, it's not as bad as, like... So people kind of assumed that it was going to be bad because they're like, oh, it's just going to be like stuck in a bunch of politics and whatever. Right. Yeah. There's one character in it that is absolutely insufferable. Yeah. Um, that is Teenage Science Girl. She's like right. 16 and she's the best at all the science ever. Right. But take her away and watch the rest of the movie and it's it's okay. Like it's it's a it's a classic movie about like um you know there's a nation that is having a succession crisis and um like the the prince is trying to, you know, he doesn't think he's worthy and then he is worthy and he has to fight to to reclaim his throne and prove that he's worthy. It's it's a very simple story, but it's it's not bad. Yeah. There's at least I mean, an okay. arc to the main character. The main character goes through some shit and then achieves something. What I am frustrated by isn't that we have these bad movies. It's that Hollywood doesn't kind of learn. They just keep um, putting out the same shite over and over again. So I think, I can't remember if it was before or after Marvel. It doesn't really matter which way around because, I mean, one of them came out the other. You remember Birds of Prey, right? <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. And that and was now, after, by the way. I was literally heading to a bus stop early today. And have you heard of Gunpowder Milkshake? No. It's... I mean, I, I'd actually, I was about to tell you what it's about, but I don't actually know what it's about, because everything I've seen from the advert is just... It, it's, it's a lot like... Um, what was it uh, Harley's Angels? Oh, uh, that's not the right word. Um, Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels. Harley's. Um, but like Charlie's Angels was meant to be a comedy skit, hmm. and so that's kind of what what made everything so funny. And they're doing batshit stuff like yeah. This looks like they've taken Charlie's Angels and decided to take it seriously. Taken out the funny parts. Yeah. Um, they've got uh, was it Karen Gillian? The uh, ginger chick from Doctor Two. Oh, okay, yeah, I know her. The the police lady one. Yeah, she was in um, she was actually in uh, the Marvel movies too. She played the blue chick. Right. Well, she's 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 leading up the the. Wait, she no, she didn't. Nebula. Yeah, Nebula's played by uh, that. That's her. Huh. She's she's under a ton of makeup and stuff, but that's yeah. Her. No, I can't. <laughs> oh crap. Um. Yeah, she she's kind of the front runner. I think there's like seven women in some kind of badass fighting group, and I just I'm just getting flashbacks to like I said, 
Captain Marvel and Birds of Prey and any other thing with Harley Quinn in it. Uh, yeah. Suicide Squad. Thing is, there's there's way to there's ways to do this stuff right, and there's ways to do it poorly. Like you can you can inject all of this, you know, weird pol- political stuff in into a movie, into a game, into a book, into a TV show, mm. and it's fine as long as the story is written well at the same time. Like I, I actually I've gone back and watched like TV shows from when I was a kid. And there's tons of political messages from the 90s in there. Like, the, the mm. whole, like, environmental... Like, Captain Planet. I fucking love that show. And it's all about, like, environmentalism and, you know, conserv- yeah. the, all, all that fun stuff. But you don't really... It's, it's all there, but it's kind of just context. But they still wrote good stories to go along with it. And I think this, this is what, what it comes down to, is, like... You can you can put politics into movies. You can put politics into TV shows. You can put politics into books and video games, but it needs to be a good game. It needs to be a well written story. It needs yeah, to be before a, you do that. Exactly. You need to have a good idea, and then you can interlace your own. Like all all authors do this. All writers, directors, they all do it. Yeah. But you just need to, but you do need to have something worth talking about worth showing people before you actually go that go and then make it mm. anyway so uh yeah like i don't know any anything more to say on them on hercules yeah. no i just it's it's a great oh, fuck, movie. It's hercules we were yeah talking we were talking about, about hercules <laughs> we went on a, on a huge tangent like, yeah. but i absolutely <laughs> love the movie like some of the songs in it i really really like um yep. you Classic know Disney. zero to hero great song mm. Um. God. Yeah, nothing more to say. Just great movie. Watch it, and it, it's an example of a very simple story told very well. Yeah. But you had you had some more uh, stuff to talk well, about. Should we get should we go for the book or the TV show I've been watching? Let's go for the TV show. Okay, that's probably gonna be faster anyway. So, uh, I finally got around to started properly watching the Terry Pratchett TV series, The Watch, as shown on. BBC iPlayer. I don't know what it's available in America. Yeah, who knows? If it is. Um, so it takes the, the disc world made by Terry Pratchett and it's kind of... It takes the characters from it. It changes around a lot of things about the characters. And it takes the city, the main city, and it changes a lot of things about the main city. Yeah, I just bit my tongue. And then it kind of makes a new story. So Yeah, I think we've... We we talked about this when it was Touching announced. Before, I think on episode yeah. um, episode fifty, for those who want to look. Yep. Uh, and so yeah, we started watching it again properly. We've seen the first two episodes now, and I won't go into much detail on the first one because I've already kind of slagged it off back then. <laughs> I don't think I gave it enough credit because I think at the time I was annoyed that it really didn't follow any of the trends of the books. Yeah. Apart from the names, everything else is pretty much different. But as I came back to it, looking at it as a standalone production, and it is better than I than I thought. Um, the characters are a lot more. There's funny moments and there's uh, emotional moments. And there's quite quite dark moments in some ways. 
uh, just in the second episode, um, one of the, the people who work at the watch is a uh, werewolf, and she transforms in the middle of like this room where a bunch of goblins are. The goblins, by the way, are fucking hilarious, but I'll get back to that. Um, and so she's just like beating the shit out of all them. Um, and then it cuts to her waking up, like this little girl, I say little, and she's not a girl, she's a lady, she's just very small, um, waking up in a, uh, like a back alley, covered in dirt, it's raining, and she's just completely naked on the cobblestones. And it's like, holy fuck, that's kind of, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, but then another member of the watch is there to hand her a coat and, you know, talk to her about these things. So there is definitely some character development, and the character development I've seen so far is quite good. Maybe it's going too fast, because I'm only on episode two, but I have already feel invested in some of the characters. Um, the continuity-wise doesn't make much sense. There's uh, villains that kind of just summon villains out of thin air, and they're just there. Doesn't... It, it, it's Just confusing. A vehicle to move the plot forward. Yeah, the, the 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 main story does seem like it's kind of been shoehorned in a bit. It seems a bit it doesn't make sense how things work. The goblins, they have the classic. Um, no one in this story can understand them, to my knowledge, <laughs> but they have like these colorful um, text boxes that appear on the screen with what they're saying. Like in, like, a, a Soviet Womble-esque video, right? Yeah, I got you. Um, and so there's a fight near the beginning of the second episode, and there's, it's like, the goblins... Uh, who are the evil guys? But they're, like, the minions of the evil guys. And they're, they're fighting the good guys um, with crossbows. And a couple of the goblins, like, slink away. Uh, or one grabs another goblin, and then they, like, pull that person away. And the... <laughs> Four goblins like, you just shot my wife <laughs> while they're running away from the fight. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that sounds darker than it is, but they're such co comedic duos. They're like, oh, we we should start our own um, union. <laughs> they're standing over their old bosses like it looks like corpse. Yeah, and they're like, this is our time, Charles. I read that leaflet you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy wakes up, they're like, oh, okay, he's alive again. Is this a good time to ask about raising our pay? <laughs> oh, the other one's like, no, mate, too soon, too soon. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's, it's, they're, they're, they are one of my favorite, like, races, I guess, uh, in, in the show so far. But, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's not something where you take the plot super seriously. You just enjoy the characters and the, scene to scene comedy of it because that's what it kind of is it's comedy mixed with a little bit of seriousness yeah uh, like in the case of Angua um, the, the werewolf she was in in Going Postal she was pretty hot yeah she only shows up she for like is, one scene but she looks very different in this but she's still got like the eyeshadow and the white hair hmm. um, also she seems to in in going postal, she is in control of her wolf form. Yeah, yeah. In this, she seems like she has absolutely no control over what she attacks, when she converts. 
Um, so presumably going postal would have been like a later, later date or something like that. Maybe, like I said, they completely changed a lot of the characters. Like, rather than having a female dwarf who... Granted, in, in the books, the female dwarf doesn't want to have a beard and she wants to wear a dress and stuff like that. That's fine, because... For dwarfs in the Terry Pratchett universe, it's kind of... The social norm is just to all of them look the same. It's very hard to tell a male from a female. Uh, yeah. Dwarf. You Whereas, get that in a lot of uh, fantasy universes. Yeah, whereas in this they've kind of got a slight virtue signaling thing where they've got a transgender person who they're like, oh, the first thing I did when I got to the city was shave my beard, which is very, very fucking strange for a dwarf. She's also really tall. A, I can't remember why they explained that. A tall dwarf. Yeah. Um, but her character, if you ignore the fact that she's a dwarf and that she's completely different to her character in the book. She is a good character. Um, and I think it's not always easy to bring up transgender things in movies, especially with the you know the political side of it coming in. Uh, so I think they've actually done it quite well for a change. Um, this is something that, like, it. so it sounds to me like the, like the series itself, right, is really good. Yeah. But this is something that annoys me. It sounds like they they had an idea for an IP, mm. like something new, a, a cool story, and they weren't confident in it, so they just decided to make it, like, to loosely tie it to Terry Pratchett. Like, they, they, they took the names and the location and some of the basic concepts and just wrote their own story using those not paying attention to yeah. the the source material it, i i don't understand I, okay i understand why people do this yeah because they do it because there's some name recognition they're not mm. confident in their own ip they're not confident in their own material and their own story and so they they pull some other well-known ip like terry pratchett or whatever you have and then you know shoehorn their own story in there so that people yeah. will will watch it, I, kind of like a fanfic. It, essentially, yeah, but it's not even a fanfic because a fanfic would have a lot more respect for the original work, and it doesn't sound like this one did. Well, I mean, they've got like a, in theory, okay. So if you take the watch, you've got the the captain who is a drunkard. Yep. You've got the uh, the new guy in from the mountains who like is is doing what we consider policing. But in in Warpork is considered like Yeah. How do you know? You've told me like a million times. Have I? Yeah. I, d I just haven't brought it up today, so I was surprised that you remembered. Um who's like doing way more than he should be doing. Uh you've got Angua the werewolf. She's still a werewolf. Uh you got the troll, who is still a troll, and you have the dwarf who is a female. So they do fall fall, fall into all of those things. But each of them, except Carrot, they twist them a little bit. Which, I'm very much on two sides. On one, I'm like, I would love to see something accurate to Terry Pratchett. On the other hand, I think they've done it well enough that I'm willing to forgive them for the series. And I will just forget that it is part of the Discworld. Yeah. I mean, I could see that to an extent. Hmm. So, I'm gonna, so another uh, 
example of this sort of fan fiction thing, I think, is the um, uh, the Last Jedi, the seventh, eighth Star Wars movie. Honestly, anything after six was just abysmal. Yeah, I agree. But still, the seventh one wasn't bad. Um, and Rogue One is a very good Star Like, in the new Star Wars canon... Rogue, Rogue One was excellent. I, I yeah. loved Rogue One, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this one, the eighth one, uh, The Last Jedi, like, there's Luke Skywalker in it, in theory. But it's not actually Luke Skywalker. It's somebody who used the name Luke Skywalker and wrote their own character in there and was like, this is what he is now. Yeah. But it's completely and totally inconsistent with any of the established lore. Have you seen the last one yet? The last episode? Um, no. And I don't have any intention to. So you know how I've I seen you that... I've seen everything but the last one. I did watch The Last Jedi and it was painful. You've seen... You remember I told you how after the first trilogy of Red Rising that it's it's something that there's a book that it's part of the universe, and I think that people should watch it, or read it, sorry. But, you should still read it, but it's not good. Yeah. In my opinion. Which is this why is I haven't gotten it. the same way further. that I feel about Star Wars. Okay. Like, if, if, if you want to just have the nice memory of the series, don't watch it. If you want the full story, though, of what actually happened, it, it it's like a, a tragedy at the end of the story. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of still holding out hope that um, Disney retcons the the last couple movies. Yeah. Because the Can thing is, imagine? like, the, 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 prequel, the prequel trilogy, the episode mm. 1, 2, and 3... They won't do, by the way. There's too, too much money in it. Yeah, maybe not. Well, I mean, but the, the, if they retcon it, they get more money. Because yeah. they get to make new movies. Um, but my, my point, I don't think they will either. I, I'm just, I was mostly just joking. Yeah. But the prequel trilogy, the, the, I think the problem that most people have with the sequel trilogy is there was no vision. So the, the, the prequel trilogy, episodes 1, 2, and 3, and mm. the original trilogy, you know, 4, 5, and 6, all of them had, like, they, they all connected nicely together. They all fit into one larger narrative that went along. Mm -hmm. People didn't like the prequel trilogy because it was a bit more dull. It was too heavy on the CGI, you know, yada, yada. I don't think we ever, you and I, ever really minded it that much. No, I didn't. I loved, I I loved, it. I loved the prequel yeah. trilogy. Um, it might be that I was still young when I saw it. Like I was. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, the first I know I was. The, the first movie came out when I was 11. Um, I mean, Phantom Menace. Maul. Oh, Darth Maul was I fucking fu badass. I fucking love Darth Maul, yeah. And you know what? I didn't even mind Jar Jar Binks that much. I thought he was... No, I didn't. I, I by the way, one he of my... He wasn't a main character. So. One of my favorite fan theories is still uh, Jar Jar Binks is Darth secretly Darth a Sith Darth, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that theory. But, but point being that all three of those movies had a plot line running through them. They all fit together and connected to the larger narrative. Mm. The sequel trilogy didn't do that. Um, like, episode 7 was just a rehash of episode 4 with a new skin on it and some characters that didn't really have any chemistry. And then you hit episode 8 and it took a completely different tone from the other ones. 
there were plot threads that were left open by episode seven and episode eight was like yeah i don't want those we're gonna go on and do something different and mm. i i haven't seen episode nine but i assume it did more of the same <laughs> like it's just it, there wasn't there wasn't a narrative going through the movies that i could really follow or that really hooked me to make me go like oh i want to see more of this yeah but rogue one rogue one excellent, excellent movie great standalone movie and actually Unlike the sequel trilogy, it connected to the larger series. Yeah, and it wasn't all... They didn't fall into the trap of, because it's a later movie, everything is overpowered. Yeah. Like, man, just, just the planet that they were on, the, the fucking beautiful, like, desert beaches yeah, kind we, of thing. There, there were there were a few points in that movie that were just so odd. So, Rogue One points in yeah. that movie that I... It, by the way, anyone who hasn't seen it yet, go out and watch it because it's an excellent Star Wars. If you like Star Wars, watch this movie. It's a great movie. Mm. But things that I really liked in the movie, one, the opening scene where they're they're landing the shuttle down on that kind of like mossy bog area and that, that tense scene, loved that. The the bits where they're like um, trying to find uh, the, the main character's dad and it's like they're rainy and there's snipers and stuff also awesome mm. and then the third bit that last scene with darth vader that was so badass all oh, real gravitas like just even talking thinking about it i got tingles thinking about it just saying yes. well for next week we need to watch uh, the man who will be king Yep, that's your next that's, movie. That's my choice. And I know I know what my choice is already for our like my my choice after that one. Well, we were talking about like you swapping with Lysia so that you could line up with Halloween. Oh yeah, that's right, because yeah, we're we're talking so something we've been yeah. discussing, and I feel like it it's a good time to talk about this. Um because what we did last year for Halloween, we're talking about doing a Nicolas Cage movie for Halloween every year. And so I've got I've got mine lined up, um, and so if I swap with Alicia, it should line up perfectly to have that one go up on Halloween. Yeah, I've seen surprisingly few Nicolas Cage movies. I've seen Ghost Rider. God, uh, and I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> he's got so there's, despite all the shit movies he's made, he's actually made quite a few good ones too. Gone in sixty yeah. seconds, great movie. Um, I was about to (laughs) no no I was about to list the one that okay so the one I'm thinking about doing is Lord of War also great movie Um, and then he's got the uh, more infamous ones the uh, oh I think is it Leaving Las Vegas I think that might be another one that he does that's really good there's one where he's like this um, son of like a gang member who's like all hopped up on coke and he's like bench pressing strippers it's 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 a good movie. You just love that idea. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. Anyway, um, I think we. Yes. Anyway, let's. Uh, I, yeah, we've we've exhausted this segment. Uh, this is going to be the end of segment two of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you'll hear us again momentarily for segment three. Welcome back to the Team CJ Podcast. We are on segment three, our wild card. And as promised last week, we are back to Eye of Argon. We haven't actually read any more of this since episode 40. 
Did we promise it last week? We did. Yeah, yeah. We oh, talked about well, what we're going like... to do last week, and we did say that we were going to go back to Eye of Argon. It's been yeah. 22 episodes since we looked at this last, so the better part of a year. Well, lesser part of a year. Anyway, I had to go back to that episode to actually find out where we left off, and I've got the PDF up. Um, we are on page 38 of the original magazine, yep. whatever that means. And our brains and throats have finally recovered from the last time we played this. <laughs> well, and all of the... Uh, I think we've probably stopped because we've been constantly doing uh, Questrian Bronte. Yeah, I, that, so there was a point in time where I was doing... I did, we did Eye of Argon, and then Equestrian Bronte, and then D&D. And all I was of, doing all these stupid fucking voices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was... Oof, so, for reference, what's happened is... Uh, Grignar, the barbarian, has fought some people on the road. He went to a town, tried to woo a prostitute, um, got himself captured, ended up in a dungeon, escaped the dungeon. The prostitute ended up in a weird thing, getting sacrificed. He escaped, she escaped, and I think that's where we are right now. I don't remember any of that. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the story thus far. My goodness. Um, okay, do you wanna just start doing a roll for it? Uh yeah, roll for it. I'll, I'll take even. Okay, I'm rolling a D8 today. Alright, go for it. It's a two. Alright, even, I start first. <clears throat> oh, and just to remind people of the rules, uh, we switch places reading. Uh, if either of us uh, screws up a line or laughs or what have you. Because, or finishes a page. Or finishes a page. And the reason for that being is that there we, we do have to read any and all spelling mistakes and things as written in the story. Yep. So, even if you autocorrect things to make them right, that counts as a screw-up. Alright? Alright, here we go. He braced himself, facing the second soldier. The sentry's stature... What you, this doesn't count if you make me laugh. Oh no, it's that you slowed down so much for second, because I think you're expecting it to be wrong. I was I was expecting it to be wrong, you're right. <laughs> Does that count? No, no, you know, no it doesn't. Start from centuries. The century's stature was wildly exaggerated in the uh, wrong. Exag oh god, it was exaggerated. No, it was the fact there was two wasses. Oh shit. The century's stature <laughs> was was wildly damn. All right. um, that's it's already you. It's already you. The, the century's stature was was wildly exaggerated in the glare of the flickering cresset cuppocks in his right fist. His eyes were wide open in a slightly slanted owlish glaze, enhanced in their sinister intensity by the hawkbill curve of his nose and pale, yellow peak of his cheeks. Place your hands behind your back, said the second soldier, as he raised his axe over his right shoulder blade and cast it a wavering glance. We must bind your arrests to parry any attempts at escape. Be sure to make the knot a stout one. Broig, we wouldn't want our guest to take leave of our guidance. Broig grasped Grigner's left wrist and reached for the barbarian's right wrist. 
Grigner wrenched his right arm free and, redacted, swiveled to face Broig. Reach the... Uh, I find... No, uh, actually, hold up. I think you'll find that says Swilveld. Well, I, I said swiveled afterwards, but the, there's a word that's like completely blanked out, so I said Yeah, the, you, you got that right, but Swilveld. It's, it's not, not swiveled, L. it's Swilveld. There's no L where. Yeah, there is. S W I L V E L E D. That's not an L. I mean, it's, it's a, if anything, it's it's a semicolon. All right. Well, it, you still pronounced it wrong, then. True, and I got <laughs> the next part wrong as well. <laughs> All right, but either way, I, I did love the um, the voice. Yeah, that was good. Thank you. <clears throat> oh, worry. Good from Grigna wrenched. Uh, Grignar wrenched his right arm free and redacted Swilveld to face Broig, reaching beneath his loincloth. Nope. What? Reach beneath. Oh, god damn it. It's fine, you haven't finished the first sentence, you gotta just go again. <laughs> <laughs> Broig reached beneath his loincloth with his right hand. The this uh, yeah, I don't know how to how to do this. The T is like <laughs> superimposed here. Yeah, it looks H E squared, but instead of the two, it's a T it's, in the beginning. It's T He Sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheath dagger, but recoiled short of his intentions as Grigner's right arm swept at his gorge. To his gorge. To his gorge. Ah, you can take over. I like so something. <laughs> so, I we, we've said this before, but uh, clearly, you know, the person who wrote this had a thesaurus and not much else. Yeah, and even got a lot of that wrong. So, <laughs> the soldier went limp, his bobbing eyes rolling beneath fluttering eyelids, a deep welt across his spouting gullet. Without lingering to observe the result of his efforts. Grigner dropped to his knees. The second soldier's axe cleft over Grigner's head in a buzz of silvered ferocity, <laughs> severing several scarlet locks from his scalp. Coming to rest in his fellow's stomach, the iron head crashed through mail and flesh with splintering force, spilling a pool of crimsoned entrails over the granite paving. That was a lot of S's in that, sorry. <laughs> yeah, big on alliteration, this guy. <clears throat> Before the sentry could wrench his axe free from his comrade's carcass, he found Grigner's massive hands clasped about his throat, choking the life from his clamped lungs. With a zealous grunt, the accordion flexed his tightly corded biceps, forcing the grim-faced soldier to one knee. The sentry plunged his right fist into Grigner's face, Digging his grimy nails into the barbarian's flesh. Ejaculating a curse <laughs> through rasping teeth, Grigna surged the bulk of his weight forward, bowling the besieged soldier over upon his back. The sentry's arms collapsed to his thigh, shuddering convulsively, his bulging eyes staring blindly from a bloated cherry red face. <laughs> Ejaculating a curse. So, that, that doesn't I count because I, I laughed, you didn't. Yeah, but, yeah. But I, I controlled it, but I saw it coming like a line before, and I was like, oh god, <laughs> this, is, this might break me. It's like when we read Carlo Fuck Rabin. Ah, uh, there it is. 
Rising to his feet, Grigner shook the blood from his eyes, <laughs> ruffling his surly red mane as a brush fire swaying to the nightmare bre- nighttime breeze. Oh, I fucking idiot. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it from The there. nightmare breeze sounds badass. Nightmare though. breeze <laughs> does sound a lot better than nighttime breeze, but... I mean, it's also it much more. In, it's much more in line with this guy's writing style because he yeah. is nothing if not over dramatic. God, the nightmare breeze. That sounds awesome. All right. But yes, it's you. Stooping over the spur, sprawled corpse of the first soldier, Grigner retrieved a small white object from a pool of congealing gore. Snorting a gusty billow of mirth, he once more concealed to. Eh, tiny object beneath his loincloth. The tediously honed pelvis bone of the broken rodent. Returning his attention toward the second soldier, Grigner turned to the task of attiring his limbs. To move about freely through the dim recesses of the castle would require the grotesque garb of its soldiery. So... I, I'm, I'm saying we can have like small pauses after each paragraph. Um, attiring his limb. I'm imagining he's like stuck the dude's actual arms to himself and he's like some kind of crab person now. <laughs> <laughs> he's just walking. Like, I'll need this to get around the castle. The, the one that almost got me was snorting a gusty billow of mirth. Uh, th- the point before it, when it said retrieved a small white object from a pool of congealing gore, it just made me go back to the ejaculating curse. <laughs> I was like... Oh my god. Oh no. Alright, alright, hold on, I gotta uh, keep going. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Utilizing the silence and stealth acquired in untamed climbs of his childhood, Grigner... S- I'm, I'm sorry, hold on. Grigner Slink. No, no, just the the, the acquired in untamed climbs of his childhood was what almost got me there. Alright, Grigner's sink... Oh, God. Sling. No, you fucked it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I stopped in the middle of the sentence anyway, so you you can take over from Grigner. Grigner slink through twisting corridors and winding stairways, lighting his way with the confiscated torch of his dispatched guardian. Knowing where his steps were leading to... Grigna meandered aimlessly in search of an exit from the chateau's dim confines. The wild blood coursing through his veins yearned for the undefiled freedom of the livid wilderness lands. That's the end Coming of the page, up. so it's back to me. Okay. Also, what what is that picture at the bottom of the page? It's meant to be some kind of weird cat thing with a unibrow. I think that's a picture of the author. Alright. <clears throat> Coming upon a fork in the passage, he treaked, not trekked, treaked, voices accompanied by clinking footfalls discerned to his sensitive ears from the left corridor. Wishing to avoid contact, Grigner veered to the right passageway. If acquested, as to the purpose of his presence, his barbarous accent would reveal his identity, being that his attire was not that of the castle's mercenary troops. In grim silence, Grigner treaded down the gingerly lit corridor, a stalking partner, 
Fuck. Panther. Fuck. There were so many spelling mistakes. There were so many spelling mistakes in that first paragraph. The first part. You mean the first sentence? No, the first paragraph. Oh, okay. Yeah. That that first paragraph that I actually made it through. There were a bunch of like weirdly spelled. (laughs) Anyway, go on. You really struggled with the first line of the second paragraph, even though I think it was actually not too bad for him. Yeah, it's because I'm expecting it to be shit. Yeah. Like, the hardest parts are the parts that actually make sense. Because it's well-written, because if it's well-written, I feel like it's a trap. (laughs) In grim silence, Grigna treaded down the dingily lit corridor, a stalking panther creeping warily along on padded feet. After an interminable period of wandering through the dull corridors, no gaps to break the monotony of the cold grey walls, Grigna espied a small winding stairway. Descending the flight of arced granite slabs to the posterior, Grigna was confronted by a short hallway leading to a tall arched wooden doorway. Halting before the teeming portal portal, Grigna rests his shaggy head sideways against the barrier, detecting no sounds from within. He grasped the looped metal handle of the door, his arms surging with a tremendous effort of bulging muscles, yet the door would not budge. Retrieving his arcs from where he had sheathed it beneath his girdle, he hefted it in his mighty hands with an appeased grunt, and wedging one of its blackened edges into the crack between the portal and its iron-rhymed sill, bracing his sandaled right foot against the rugly hewn wall, Teeth tightly clenched, Grigner appellevered the oaken haft, employing it as a lever, whereby to pry open the barrier. The leather-wound hilt, bending to its utmost limits of endurance, a massive portal swung open with a grating of snapped latch and rusty iron hinges. I made a couple of... Yeah, I'm sorry. Kudos to you for actually doing that. There were so many weird fucked up words in that paragraph. I did make a couple of slips, I think. Um, so I'm happy to let you continue. Alright, I'll, I'll take on from there. <clears throat> Glancing about the dust-swirled room in the gloomily dancing glare of his flickering crescent... Sorry, crescent. Grigner eyed uh, evidences of the enclosure being nothing more than a forgotten storeroom. Miscellaneous articles required for the maintenance of a castle were piled in disorganized heaps at the infrequent intervals towards the walls opposite the barbarian's piercing stare. Utilizing long, bounding strides, Grigner paced his way over the the mounds of supplies to discover if any articles of value were contained within their midst. (laughs) Detecting a faint clinking sound, Grigner sprawled to his left side with the speed of a striking cobra, landing harshly upon his back, torch and axe loudly clattering to the floor in a morass of sparks and flame. An elmwoven board leaped from collapsed flooring, clashing against the jagged floor and spewing a shower of orange and yellow sparks. That's a G, right? What? Spark G. That's, That's a, an S. 
Is that NASA? It looks like a G on my screen. All right. <laughs> Over Grigner's startled face, rising unsteadily to his feet, the half-stunned... What? Uneasily. I said that. You said unsteadily. Did I? Okay. I'll finish the <laughs> sentence and you can take over. You can take over cool. the next paragraph. Uh, to his feet, the half-stunned accordion glared down at the gruesome arm of death he had unwittingly sprung. <laughs> Alright, you can go next. <clears throat> I have to keep clearing my throat. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> if not for his keen auditory organs and lightning-steeled reflexes, Grigner would have been groping through the shadowed hell pits of the Grim Reaper. Hang on, can I just... One sec. Sorry, one sec. Go for it. No, take your time. The shadowed hell pits of the Grim Reaper. He's talking about, like, fisting the Grim Reaper. I, I don't know what's happening right now. I, I thought something popped out of a floorboard. For all we know, a rat just popped out. I think he fell over and his axe made a... Shower of sparks from the floorboards. I don't think anything popped out of it. This this is why you don't use like a billion adjectives to describe what's mm. happening in a scene. If the I was listening to this, I think I might have a better idea of what is happening. But because I'm focusing so fucking hard on reading it, no, I I, I don't even. I'm listening to you read it, and I'm having a hard time following what's happening. <laughs> like th this is just a good piece of writing of writing advice for anyone. You don't need a million adjectives. Like, it, it's perfectly fine to describe something in plain language. If you need to emphasize mm. something, maybe use one, at most, two adjectives. Don't pile mm. them on like this asshole. <laughs> right, I'll continue. Go for it. He had unknowingly stumbled upon an ancient, long-forgotten booby trap. A mistake which would have stunted the perusal of the longevity of one less agile. A mechanism similar in type to that of a miniature catapult was concealed between two collapsible <laughs> sections of granite flooring. The arm of the device was four feet long, boasting razor-like cleats at regular intervals along its face, with which it was to skewer the luckless body of its would-be victim. Grigner had stepped upon a concealed catch which released a small metal latch beneath the two granite sections causing them to fall inward and thereby lose the spiked arm of death they precariously held in. Alright, next page, so it's me. Oh, we got, a, we got an illustration on this page. We do? Oh my, Look that's at those weird Twitch. deformed titties. That's some Lara Croft shit right there. Uh... I don't think you're giving Laura enough credit. All right. <clears throat> partially out of curiosity and partially out of an inordinate fear of becoming a pincushion for the for a possible second trap, Grigner plunged his torch into the exposed gap in the floor. The floor of a second chamber stood out seven feet below the glare. Tossing the torch through the aperture... Grigner clasped the side of an of, of an adjoining tile dropping down. Glancing about the room, Grigner discovered that he had descended into the palace's mausoleum. Mausoleum, by the way, spelled completely wrong. Is it? I got the M A U bit. I, I I don't think it's spelled M A R. Whatever. 
Mausoleum. I thought it was. Uh, rectangular stone crypts cluttered the floor at evenly placed intervals. The tops of the enclosures were plated with thick layers of virgin gold. Vert. That's not the end of the sentence. No, no, I just, I'm, I was stopped at virgin gold. I didn't, what the fuck is virgin gold? I, while the, while the sides of the plate, the thing, the thing about gold is you can't actually combine it with anything. So it's always virgin gold. Anyway. Uh, you can make electrum with it, can't you? Right. Yeah, but it, but the the gold doesn't actually merge with it on a chemical basis. It's still gold. You can separate right. it very easily by melting it. Anyway, um, well, the sides were plated with white ivory, at one time sparkling, but now grown dingy through the passage of the rays of all-encompassing Mother Time. All-encompassing. Yeah, exactly. No, no, but that's somebody oh, wrote. Oh, that not how it's spelled? Okay. No, he wrote all-encompassing. Fair enough. Like, that's wait, what's the next? I didn't even read the next two words. <laughs> All right, sorry. Uh, you keep going, but maybe wind it back a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, At one time sparkling, but now grown dingy through the passage of the rays of all-encompassing Mother Time. Featured at the head of each sarcophagus uh, in tarnished silver was an ex. Bugnigzak. <laughs> <laughs> no, you fucked it. Yeah, I did. Can I? Tr let me try to pronounce this. Expugnificently. Yeah. Expugnificently. Expugnificently. I don't it's think that's a word. But go on. Expugnificently. It's not a word. Carved likeness of its rotting inhabitant. He uses dingy a lot. I'm just noticing. Mm. A dingy. Well, just like in the beginning of the story, he used stygian all the time. Yes. A dingy atmosphere pervaded the air of the chamber, which sealed in the enclosure for an unknown period had grown thick and stale. Intermingling with the curdled currents was the repugnant stench of slowly mouldering flesh, creeping ever slowly, but surely, through minute cracks in the numerous vaults. Due to the embalming of the bodies, their flesh decayed at a much slower rate than is normal, yet the nauseous odour was nonetheless repellent. Towering over Grigna's head was the trap he released. The mechanism of the miniaturized catapult was cluttered with mildew and cobwebs. Notwithstanding these relics of antiquity, its efficiency remained unimpinged. To the right of the trap wound a short stairway through a recession in the ceiling, a concealed entrance leading to the mausoleum for which the catapult had obviously been erected as a silent, relentless guardian. Climbing up the side of the device, Grigna set the task of resetting its mechanism. In the E-event that a search was organized, it would prove well to leave no evidence of his presence open to wandering eyes. Besides, it might even serve to dwindle the size of an opposing force. Descending from his perch, Grigna was startled by a faintly muffled scream of horrified desperation. His hair prickled yorkishly in disorganized clumps around his scalp. As a cold danced around... Ah, oh, fuck. I said around instead of along. Yeah, I got it. As a cold danced along the length of his spinal cord, no moral-slash-mortal barrier, human or otherwise, 
was capable of arousing the numbing sensation of fear inside of Grigno's smoldering soul. However, he was overwrought by the forces of the barbarian's instinctive fear of the supernatural. His mighty thews had always served to adequately conquer any tangible foe, but the intangible was something distant and terrible, dim, horrifying. I'll finish the paragraph and you can pick up because it's yeah, the end of the page. Tales passed by word of mouth over glimmering campfires and skins of wine had more than once served the purpose of chilling the marrow core of his sturdy limbed bones. Good job. Thank you. <clears throat> Yet the scream contained a strangely human quality, unlike that which Grigner imagined would come from the lungs of a demon or spirit, making Grigner take short, nervous strides advancing to the sarcophagus from which the sounds was issuing. Clenching his teeth in an attempt to steal his jangled nerves, Grigner slid the engraved slab from the vault with a sharp rasp of grinding stone. Another long-drawn cry of terror infested anguish met the barbarian, scoring like the shrill piping of a demented banshee. Piercing the inner fibers of his superstitious brain with primitive dread, dread and awe. I, I will give it to you, but technically that says fibrous. What did I say? No, it says fibers. Yeah, I, I'm giving it to you because it's a British thing. I guess you'd pronounce what? it that way. No, the whole like nanofiber. Yeah, so the pronouncing something B R E as burr. Yeah. That's that's a British thing. You don't do that in the US. Oh well fuck off then. That's not wrong. I know. That's why Give I said I'm I'm just I'm pointing it out, but I'm yeah, I'm not gonna okay. stop you for it. Okay. Stooping over to espy the tomb's contents, the glittering accordion's nostrils were singed by the scorching aroma of a mouldering corpse, long shut up and fermenting. The same putrid scent which permeated the entire chamber through multiplied to a much more concentrated dosage. You actually, um... I said through instead of though, yeah. You, you also said multiplied instead of multiplied. You were, you were, you were assuming he was going to say it wrong. I didn't even... It's when, when he cuts a word in half or a line. Yeah, it's difficult. The, the way that I read, it, it means that I kind of rush out the, the thing. So I just... Yeah, that was... Yeah. All right, You're I'll up. take up. Uh, the shriveled, a leathery packet of crumbling bones and dried flacking flesh offered no resistance but remained in a fixed position of perpetual vigilance watching over its dim abode from hollow gaping sockets. The tortured cries were not coming from the tomb, but from some hidden depth below! Exclamation mark. Pulling the reeking corpse from its resting place, Grigner tossed it to the floor in a broken mangle heap, mangled heap. Upon one side of the crypt's bottom was attached, Ed, a series of tiny hinges while running parallel along the opposite side of a convex railing like protuberance, laid so as to appear as a part of the interior surface of the sarcophagus. I would like to say, you just what? said attach, ed. Well, it's got the dash there. <laughs> For the same 
that just means it's continued onto the, it's just attached. Yeah, I know. I was. Ex- <laughs> I'm, I'm taking it one word at a time. If, if you want to take over, you're welcome to. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying it's the same thing as the multiplied thing. That was all yeah, I was yeah. No, 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 no. You, you didn't though. You, you skipped the L. It's not multiplied. You didn't say multiplied. You said multiply. You said attach ed. I mean, it's yeah, the you, same thing. I'm. You left out an entire letter. I just all hesitated right, right. in the middle. <laughs> There's a difference between not pronouncing the entire well, word then, and just pronouncing the word in two separate bits. If you'd said attach, duh, then yes. But you said attach, ed. Okay. So pronounce the letter that wouldn't have been pronounced. So I, I enunciated an extra letter, but my point is you didn't enunciate a letter that was there. Yep. I read it as written. You didn't. That's the, <laughs> That's hmm. why I pointed it out. Anyway, uh, raising the slab upon its bronze hinges, long removed from the gaze of the human eyes, Grigner perceived a scene which caused his blood to smolder, not unlike bubbling molten lava. One sec. Alright, first of all, you added in a V, and second of all, it's perceived. (laughs) You're right, it is perceived. (laughs) Okay. Directly below him, a whimpering female lay stretched upon a smooth-surfaced marble altar. A pack of grazy-faced shaman clustered around her in a tight circular formation. Crouched over the girl was a tall, pot-bellied priest, his face dominated by a disgusting, open-mouthed grimace of sadistic glee. Suspended from the acolyte's clenched right hand was a carven oval-faced mallet, which he waved menacingly over the girl's shadowy face. Shadowed face. I'll finish the sentence. Yeah. An incoherent gibberish flowing from his grinning, thick-lipped mouth. Is that the end of it? That's the end of the paragraph, yeah. And I fucked up, so it's you. Thick-lipped mouth. Oh, I see it. Okay. <clears throat> In the face of the M... Oh my god. In the face of the amo- amorphos... I think it's meant to be like amorphous, but... Oh, amorphous, okay. I don't know how it's spelled, so I can't tell you if that's it's, wrong. It's, that's not how you spell it, but... Mm. I, that, that makes sense. In the face of the amorphous, uh, broad-breeded female... Nice. ...stretched out alluringly before his gaping eyes, the universal... No, you um, fucked it. That's too much laughter. Yes. How am I supposed to react? Why is eyes going to get you that loud? <laughs> the amorphous, broad-breasted female. No, braided. Braided, sorry. You got it right when you did it. Oh, oh god, I already fucked up. Uh, yeah, yeah, so... Do you want me to try it? Yeah, go, go from the beginning. In the face of the amorphous broad-breeded female stretched out alluringly before his gaping eyes, the universal whim of nature, filing a plea of despair. Sorry, filing. (laughs) I don't know why that got me so much. (laughs) Okay, I'm picking it up again. I'll pick it up from where I left off. The universal whim of nature, filing a plea of despair. Uh, inside of his white-hot soul, Grigner acted in the only manner he could perceive. 
giving vent to a hoarse throat-rending battle cry. Grigner plunged into the midst of the startled shaman, torch simmering in his left hand, Andax twirling in his right hand. Do you like my Andax? <laughs> a no, gaunt skull. <laughs> also, I love how... Can, can we talk about how the fact that he opened a tomb, right? He opened a coffin, right? Yeah. He moved a dead body, and suddenly he found the girl and the priests under the dead body? Like, Is that what's happened? Is there a secret passage or something that we missed out on, or...? Hmm. Also, yeah, I'm sorry. F the, nature filing a plea of despair. That was just such a funny image in my head. <laughs> like, it going out to some council building and be like, this guy cut down my trees! I, got, I need to submit my plea of despair here. It's on, on Form 1082. You know? Goddamn Peter again. <laughs> God damn it. Alright, here we go. I, I, think think, um, I think we probably have to finish this page and call it there because we're, we're coming up yeah, to the end of this. Well, we'll have to finish this another day again. Alright. <clears throat> a gaunt skull-faced priest standing at the far side of the altar clutched desperately at his throat, coughing furiously in an attempt to catch his breath. Lurching helplessly to and fro, the acolyte pitched headlong against the gleaming base of a massive jade idol. Writhing agonizingly against his the, the hideous image, foam flecking his chalk-white lips, the priest struggling helplessly, dot, 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 the victim of an epileptic seizure. So Grignard yeah. didn't even hit the guy, he just had a seizure. So I think he... I don't know at what point this happened. He was looking in a coffin at some point, but this is a different room, I think, where, like, the, the sacrifice and the people are. Because there's no way they can all fit into a coffin. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think he must have found a secret passage or something. Mm. Anyway, but yeah, so ending on, we only made it through three pages. Yeah, no, but there's still like several several sessions worth of reading, I think, before we're going to reach the... And yeah. hang, let me just check how many, because it might be like... No, there is actually quite a few pages left, so... Yeah, okay. I, yeah we've, we've got a bit to go. I think it ends on page... So we're ending on page 41, It the, the whole story ends on page 49, so we've got eight pages to go. My goodness. More Grigner. Anyway, <laughs> that, was, that was a fun, silly way to end this. Mm. Um, well, hopefully it won't be 20 episodes before we do the next one next time. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, it was good to come back to it again. It was. I, like, I do think that we should... We, we need to finish it. I, I don't like mm. leaving things kind of just out there. Anyway. Well, this is going to be the end of episode 62 of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear us all again next week. I hope you enjoyed this dingy virgin gold of a podcast. <laughs>